Bibles to the Gospel according to Luke chapter 1. I'll be reading Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 80. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of Yahweh was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be Yahweh, God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we may be delivered from the hand of our enemies, that we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before Yahweh to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Blessed is the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray. Father, help, help, help us hear with appropriate affection. this Holy Spirit-inspired prophecy. 
Oh, we, we know the, the end. We know the life of this horn of salvation. We know His slaughter on a cross for us. And that's why John can proclaim forgiveness of sins. But move in our midst, Lord Jesus, by the power of the Spirit that you have sent. O Son of David, King of the universe. Amen. Part of Christian life, a major part of Christian maturity, Christian growth, is growing in our knowledge of the Scripture. In other words, it is growing in our knowledge of how God has and is working out historically the plan of salvation or of redemption. This morning we'll see that John the Baptist's dad, Zechariah, was immersed in biblical history. The biggest of all questions for every one of us in here this morning is this. Am I part of God's redemptive history? Are you one of those who, according to Zechariah's prophecy, has received the knowledge of salvation? and the forgiveness of sins? Or has the sun in the east, the sunrise of Christ Himself, so shined in your heart to guide you to repentance and faith and trust and thus have God be at peace with you? Those are the overriding questions as we look at this prophecy. So if you go to it, particularly if you have a paper Bible, you can see the whole thing in front of you, verses 57 to 66. They are the setting for Zechariah's Holy Spirit-inspired prophecy. Remember we saw last week God visited Zechariah with an angel that scared the bejeebies out of him. Zechariah, doubt rises in his heart and he challenges Gabriel and Gabriel says, therefore, you won't be able to speak until the baby is born. He's all fear struck. His week of service ends. He goes home to his 60-year-old wife who has been barren all her years and she gets Pregnant, just as the angel Gabriel foretold. And there's Zechariah, speechless. Probably he's deaf. I only say that because it's really strange that they said they made signs to Zechariah. Why were they making signs to him if he can hear? So even though it says they only struck him dumb, here he sits for nine months in silence to think to meditate, to ponder, to pray over what happened to him in the temple, doing it with the scrolls, with the Bible, 
with the scriptures that are available to him as he reads. And gradually, in this new silent world for nine months of Zechariah, he began to see what's happening. Wow. These are incredible fulfillments of what was written. And finally, his son John is born. And eight days later, according to the scripture, they have him circumcised with a sign of the covenant. And he says to all those around, give me the writing tablet. His name is John. And all of a sudden, he can speak. And by the Holy Spirit, he lets loose this praise of Yahweh, of God. He prophesies by the Spirit. And so as you look at the prophecy now, starting with verse 68, there's two major parts. The first is verse 70. No, it's verse 68 to 75, which is all about Jesus. Then, beginning at verse 76 to 79, he addresses his eight-day-old baby. It's about him in his role. So let's start with verse 68. Blessed be Yahweh. God of Israel. And he says, why? Because he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. So clearly now he's referring to the Davidic covenant, the covenant God made with David about Bringing one from his loins down the line to sit on his throne unendingly forever. In 2 Samuel 7, verses 11 to 13, Nathan the prophet comes to David and he says, The Lord declares to you that Yahweh will make you a house. David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. God promised. About 300 years later, God has his prophet, Isaiah, say this in chapter 9, verse 6 to 7. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince 
of peace. And the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Oh, Zechariah is steeped in this biblical history. And notice in Zechariah's prophecy, he says that the God of Israel has, quote, visited and redeemed His people. It's what we call a prophetic past. Which means what he is saying, this is what God is doing now. And God, Yahweh, is already here, visiting, 50 miles away. He's in the womb of Mary for three months now. Zechariah by the Spirit says concerning Jesus, this is a visitation of God. To the world. Now, at this point, the last prophet in Israel was over 400 years before this. For centuries, Israel, the Jews, their feeling has God abandoned us? Israel now is subjugated by Rome under their thumb. They're not independent. They have no freedom. Many Jews were looking and waiting for God to fulfill His promise of redemption, of deliverance. Luke even shows us in chapter 2. Remember, Jesus circumcised in the temple. We read this. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And down in verse 38, Luke tells us, many were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem because they're steeped in biblical history and promises. Zechariah is saying that this long-awaited visitation is about to happen. And it's going to happen in a way nobody expected. His visit is in order to redeem. For He has visited and redeemed His people. Now, look, when Zechariah says this, by the Spirit, in his mind, he does not have the redemption of Christ in the way that Paul lays it out for us in Romans. That's not what's going through his head as he says these words. He's not thinking, look at this. This is fantastic. My son is the forerunner 
to the Savior who was going to die on a Roman cross for our sins and be raised from the dead. That's not going through his mind. First century Judaism, they had no theology of a suffering servant, even though they should have. Isaiah 53 is pretty clear, but they didn't. Zechariah, when it comes to this redemption, is is probably thinking more like Moses, delivering by Yahweh's hand Israel out of bondage and slavery through the Red Sea. Like what God says in Exodus 6.6, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And so Zechariah, he's just like all his other fellow first century Jews. He's hoping that Israel Israel will be delivered from its subjugation by Rome and have freedom. Their prayer is, come, son of David, reign as our king and free us. God did not reveal to Zechariah that the national, the the, the political deliverance that is promised, and it is promised, but Zechariah, if you asked him after this prophecy, unfold this, he did not understand that that political deliverance will only happen at the second advent. And not the first advent. It'll happen only at the second coming and not at the first coming. Look at verse 68. It is, he says, the Lord God of Israel who is coming to redeem his people, Israel. Israel, because this is the chosen nation to whom the promise had been given. It is true that God also always had in mind non-Israel, the Gentiles, the nations. It's there in the Old Testament. The hints are all over the place. But His purpose was to come to Israel, to the Jews first. That's why Jesus Himself said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In verse 69 here, Zechariah gets more specific about God visiting and redeeming His people. This is what he says of that baby in Mary's womb. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. He's referring to Jesus. He is the son of David and he calls him a horn. Horn which saves here refers to the dangerous lethal weapon of an ox's horn. 
In the Old Testament, the lifting up of the horn refers to a huge ox, a huge bull tossing its horns that are very sharp in a display of of power. Listen to Deuteronomy 33, verse 17 for a moment. The firstborn bull, he has majesty. And his horns are the horns of a wild ox. With them he shall gore the peoples. All of them to the ends of the earth. It's hard for us to get it because, see, for most of human history, people were not safely locked in their cars at San Diego's Wild Animal Park where you can see a wild ox with sharp horns and roll the windows up it's a dangerous world out there when you're traveling particularly it's more like if you clicked on youtube and and punch in something like uh, run with the bulls in spain <laughs> and you've all seen these crazy persons zechariah says this horn has been prophesied about He has raised up for us a horn of salvation in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. So when he says this horn has been prophesied about, he's got to mean at least Psalm 132, verses 17 to 18. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. Okay, now we know he's talking about the Messiah, the son of David. I'll make a horn to sprout for David. Who? Here's David. His horn is his son, Jesus. I'll make a horn to sprout for David, his enemies. I will clothe with shame. But on him, the horn, his crown will shine. And listen to how David himself sings in 2 Samuel 22. Yahweh is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. He's my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. He's my shield And here it is. And Yahweh is the horn of my salvation. My stronghold and my refuge, my Savior. You save me, O ox, from violence. Or Psalm 18 too. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation and my stronghold. And so here in Zechariah's prophecy, Jesus is the horn of salvation because it is Jesus who's a deadly weapon which Zechariah says, that deadly weapon saves his people from his enemies. 
and from all who hate us. What this prophecy means is that one day Jesus will literally destroy ultimately all his enemies. And he will gather his people into the land and he'll rule them as king in peace. And he will do this at the second advent. At his second coming. But Zechariah's words, as, as he goes on now, they clearly imply more than just ruling in the land, in peace, physically, as has been promised. Look at verse 72. And to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Zechariah knew that the promise to David rested upon the original promise he made to Abraham about seven to eight hundred years before David was ever born. So Zechariah is going back to Genesis in this prophecy, in this fulfillment to the covenant God makes with Abraham, which begins in chapter 12 of Genesis, verse 2, when Yahweh said to Abram, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And then a number of years go by, and then in chapter 15 of Genesis, verses 5 to 6, Yahweh says to Abram, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And then the Lord said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed Yahweh. And he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And then that very night, God had Abraham go collect a number of animals and cut them in two and set each half of the animals away from each other to make a pathway. And then God himself appeared, quote, as a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces of dead animals. On that day, Yahweh made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring, I give this land. 
from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. And by that covenant, by that blood covenant, by God appearing as fire and burning it up, He is saying, I bind myself by my word. I, God, will be torn in pieces like these animals if I do not keep my And then many years go by. Isaac's 13. And God says, go sacrifice your only son. And by that time, Abraham's faith had so grown, he did not hesitate. And of course, God didn't let him kill him. But then, God says to him in Genesis 22, By myself, I have sworn, declares Yahweh, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. This is the oath that Zechariah is referring to in verse 73. The oath God swore by himself, I will do it. Zechariah's prophecy makes it clear that this oath was to be fulfilled by the coming of Jesus. So that, quote, watch this, so that we would be delivered from the hand of our enemies. So that we might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. God's goal in bringing the horn of salvation is not merely to free an oppressed people from their enemies, but it is to do that in order to create for Himself a people who will walk before him in holiness and righteousness who don't fear the enemy because they trust in this horn Christ. And this means that redemption that that baby in Mary's womb is bringing does not only refer to the Jews at the second coming of Christ, but it refers to all who come to Christ, who serve Him in holiness and righteousness without fear. Jesus comes and liberates the heart. 
so that we can serve him. Now, let's try to get the picture. Because John's going to make a transition now. I mean, John, Zechariah makes a transition to his son. So you've got to picture it. There's been no prophet in the land for centuries. Zechariah has just got his voice back. And now the spirit rises up within him and he prophesies these. I think in the way I picture it in Zechariah are just not cool and calm, smooth words. I think he's trembling, overcome with emotion as he now turns to his little eight-day-old baby boy and probably holds him and says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will go before Yahweh to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins. John the Baptist will prepare a path for Jesus. Specifically, by giving Quote, knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. And we know what he does 30 some odd years later. He goes to the heart of his fellow Jews preaching sin, shining the light on their hearts, even though the outwardness of the way you do religion might look good. He goes to sin and he preaches repentance and his message thus consists of the forgiveness of sins. And so, Zechariah holds his baby. Can't imagine. And why then, though, why is this baby, John, sent? Why is he sent as a forerunner to go before and prepare the pathway for Yahweh, for the incarnation, for Jesus in his ministry? Well, this is the way the prophecy answers it. Verse 78. Get the flow. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. You will go before the Lord to prepare His way, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins. Why? Because of the tender mercy of God. That's why. So don't miss this prophecy. It's all about God's tender mercy to His people. It's a personal 
visitation. In times past, he spoke to us through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. He has tabernacled amongst us. And he's doing it now during this prophecy in the womb of Mary. Who? This violent horn of salvation. This judge of all the earth and of every human being. That's who. The horn of salvation has a forerunner because of God's tender mercy. C.S. Lewis nailed it when he understood the scripture and says, here's a picture of Jesus. He's a lion that little Lucy could snuggle up to and feel so safe. And he's the same lion who will pounce on the white witch. He got it right. So does this prophecy. A horn. That sharp, goring horn. Because God has tender mercy to the Lucy's. Those that are his. And so Zechariah goes on to paint the word picture more and to unfold what he means by tender mercy. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high in order to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, let me just... I'm going to quote from one commentator, so that we... we it, it's naturally, it's like, eh, it just flies over. What, look, sunrise, what the heck? Hear this. This is probably exactly what the prophecy is getting at. Quote, the picture here of sunrise is of travelers who have lost their way in the wilderness and are overtaken by night. They grope for the path, but it eludes them. Finally, in despair, they can do nothing but sit down in the darkness where death from wild beasts lurks in the shadows and hope for morning light. Please come. I, they can't sleep. Because they're too cold and they're too afraid. Every time a wolf howls in the darkness. They shudder. So they're sitting. It's dark. There's no street lights. Not a full moon out. You can barely see six feet in front of you. And there are wild beasts out there. And you're waiting. For sunrise. In the east where the blackness slowly turns to a dim blue. A few more minutes. 
gets a little brighter, and then the tip of the sun. Yes, I'm saved. John lights the pathway. It's the blue because the sunrise of Jesus himself is coming. Jesus is the fulfillment of Malachi chapter 4 verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the sun, S-U-N, not S-O-N, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. And then here's this last line. If that's true, you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. The common element of these pictures, these word pictures, these metaphors that are here in Zechariah's prophecy is that the people know these kinds of desperate situations. We need God's deliverance. They know that they are overpowered by their enemies and they need the wild ox. They need the horn of salvation to deliver them. We know they're in darkness and may die that very night as a wolf jumps out and bites their head off. They need the sun to rise. If morning doesn't dawn soon, we're going to die. And with that picture, one evidence that God's salvation has come to you. And look internally and ask yourself, has it? Is that the light, the sun rise, has shined on the guilt of your sinfulness. And it shined, as Paul will say in 2 Corinthians, in your heart to give the light of the knowledge of the beauty and the glory of Christ, the horn of salvation, the Savior from your guilt and sin. Now, I know at at home group we we talked about this, I think it was this last week. There are some that God's mercy saves them when they're five or eight prepubescent. And and, and they might not be able to relate to other people's kinds of testimony, and that's that's fine. But but think about the sunrise here in your life, maybe when you're 20 or your 30s. I I just remember years ago, I can still remember Bob sharing at a home group or something. I think you're in your 30s. Not sure if you were listening to radio preaching yet. You might have been. And it was as if the sunrise came. It hit him. Tell me later, Bob, if I got it right. You thought, if I swerved off the road and crashed and died, I'd go to hell. And that was mercy. The sun. 
And so the question is, has the sunrise of the gospel of Jesus Christ risen in your heart? If not, open your eyes. Cry out, oh God, let me truly see. I want this. And if you do, you've got it. The horn of Jesus has come. And he has slaughtered the enemy of sin and guilt for all who love him. And so here's the, this Christmas season now. You raise your hand, you say, that's me. Yes, I love him for the last four years or 40 years. I have been delivered from the shadow of death on that pathway of eternal death. Then during this Christmas season, we should rejoice all the more in the good news that Zechariah is proclaiming. And so throughout these next two weeks, dear believer, we should really revel, revel in the meaning of God's visitation. In the first advent of Jesus, Yahweh, becoming flesh through the womb of Mary. And thus, as we sing over these next two weeks, we should go out leaping like calves from the stall. Let's pray. Father, I ask for your wonderful tender mercies that we just read about here to work in us, your people. If, if there are any who have not come to faith in Jesus, that they will by your powerful tender mercy. But you'll work in us in these coming weeks in the contemplation of this glorious moment in human history of the conception and of the birth of your eternal Son whom you have given to us. Oh, may you by your Spirit draw your people closer and closer to you in dependence and trust to the glory of Jesus. Jesus.